and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed, standard American diet, and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you crack your health code. The problem is we we tend to let our emotions overrule us. Emotions are a very natural human thing. I'm not a robot. But emotions aren't logic. Emotions are natural and they can also be domesticated. They can be controlled because you're the one thinking. You're choosing to place your thoughts. Sometimes they're subconscious and it needs active correction. But with effort comes results. Just like, you know, I didn't start lifting 675 pounds. I didn't start deadlifting 675 pounds. I started with 135 pounds, you know? And if I said, oh, this is hard five, six, seven years ago, I would never be to where I am today. But it took effort every single day, effort, 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 effort. For how many days? What, 6,000 days, you know? Something like that. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. That little clip there was Chris Rudin. He is coming on the podcast today, and you're going to hear a little bit more of that. He is an elite power lifter, an entrepreneur, a model, and a motivational speaker. Despite his birth defect that has left him with only two fingers on his left hand and a shorter left arm. 19 years into battling his physical situation, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. But for Chris, losing is not an option. So today we're going to talk a lot about what we can control, even when things happen that we can't control. So this is a really fantastic episode. Chris was recently in the Titan Games on NBC with The Rock, and he's just got a lot of wonderful things to say about persevering no matter what your goals are and no matter what your setbacks are. So anyhow, before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to remind you that my le- my website is live and that I have all sorts of recipes on there, resources, great little things in my blog, tidbits if you want to read um, about pursuing your passions, setting fitness goals, recipes, all sorts of things. So I also have some recipe packs on there that are free. And yes, you have to put in your email. However, I am not going to spam you. I just need that because you're going into my personal document center. Anyway, thank you so much. If you want to check it out, I hope you enjoy it. And here's Chris. Well, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you on here today because you have done a lot and you um, have done it in the face of adversity. And uh, today you wanted to come on here and talk about, um, you know, doing what you want to do, um, even when you can't control everything in your life. So I'm pretty super excited to have you on the show. 
I appreciate it. And yeah, for me, it's like I had to learn how to help myself before I could help other people. But in that same process, I learned that you teach best what you need to learn most, you know? So I started helping other people, which in turn ended up helping me. So it was like this cycle of, you know, betterment in the sense of I'm not a positivity hippie. I'm not going to stand in a burning building and chant positive affirmations. I'm going to get the hell out. You know, I'm more of like, like a cynical realist, so to speak. I focus on what I can control and I help other people do the same so that they don't invest effort into a losing proposition. I love that. I love that. Well, before we get going too crazy and jump down a whole bunch of rabbit holes, because I know that's what's going to happen here. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do and what you're all about? Absolutely. So I am the only seven fingered amputee record-holding powerlifter, international motivational speaker, disabled model, uh, recent star of Titan Games with The Rock, and Donut Connoisseur that you know. And if I'm not, please let me know because that is on my email signature, and I need to change it if you know someone else. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm just you... like, I'm, I'm super down to earth. You know, I, I speak, I, I help people, I travel the country and talk to people uh, about overcoming their own adversities. And I was born with a physical disability. I have two fingers on my left hand and shorter left arm. And I also have a super cool prosthetic arm. It's like a bionic arm. And uh, I lift heavy weights. I love to eat snacks. And I love to help people live their best life, whether that's through fitness or mindset or anything along that route. I'm all about people getting better according to themselves, not according to societal standards, but whatever they feel like they want to get better at, I try and help people in that route. Wow. So where did all of this start for you? Um, obviously, you've been disabled from a young age. At what point were you like, I'm not going to let this limit myself? Or was it just second nature to just do and just be the best you can be? Oh, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say I had this like Martha Stewart level of like, I was just knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, I struggled really bad. You know, I grew up in a not a good neighborhood. My parents never had money. Uh, I never had it easy, you know, and I was the only kid with a disability in a bad neighborhood. So bullying was a, a massive thing and bullying to the extent of, you know, I just didn't want to want to be around anymore. So uh, I had to hide a lot of my uh, reactions to being bullied, to feeling like a monster. You know, you imagine being the only kid who has a physical deformity and being humiliated in front of people, in front of classrooms. And it's it was a daily struggle, you know, just to get through, get through each day was like, why am I even doing this? So it took a lot of hardening for me to get past that point. And the real learning didn't start to happen until I matured a little bit going into high school and becoming competitive, you know, doing everything from playing drums with technically one hand to doing martial arts and then trying to figure out how to do fitness when um, asymmetrical, you know. So it took a lot of adapting. But within Every time I started to adapt to a new skill set or to a new challenge, I figured, okay, you know, just because I can't do it immediately doesn't mean I can't do it at all. And then that mindset started to develop that that framework for like conceptually how to overcome obstacles or limitations. I wouldn't say I put it all together until honestly, maybe two years ago, I hid my disability for 17 years and I hid it from people at school, from my girlfriend, from everyone, you know, I hid it. And it wasn't until two years ago that I stopped hiding my disability. I love that. So 
at what point did you get into fitness and powerlifting and all this stuff? And you were just like, I'm making this happen. I don't care. So it was actually, uh, I would say because of diabetes, to be honest. So there's a, a few misconceptions around diabetes. Yes, there are two types. Well, there's multiple types, but the main two types everyone knows are type one and type two diabetes. Type two accounts for about 90 to 95% of cases of diabetes in the country. Uh, type one is about five to 10%. And that's where you depend on insulin for the rest of your life. Your, your pancreas, your, that organ doesn't produce the medication or insulin that you need to survive. So I have that kind, the autoimmune disease kind. Um, there's a lot of stigma saying, oh, it's because you ate sugar. It's because any reason you think, trust me, the people at Harvard still haven't figured it out. So I'm going to guess you didn't either, you know, um, getting diabetes at 19 years old kind of saved me. You know, I changed my entire life around. I didn't want to be that disabled and diabetic kid that wasn't doing anything, you know? So I was like, all right, what can I do with where I'm at right now? Given this situation, I want to be a lawyer just because I love, love arguing with people. Maybe that's not the right career choice. So I changed my career to exercise science because I figured that would be the hardest thing to do is learn how to work out, learn how to build. I wanted to be a bodybuilder, you know, and that's just because a lot of people told me I couldn't. I'm stubborn. So I started building muscle and then I started lifting weights and realizing I was getting strong pretty quick. One thing led to another and a friend of mine invited me to do a powerlifting meet. I did my first powerlifting meet and I won best lifter and I was the only disabled person competing against non-disabled people. And I was hooked, absolutely hooked. From there, I competed a bunch of other competitions and I just kept going with it. That's amazing. I love it. And I mean, if any of my listeners haven't gone and stalked you, they need to hit you up on Instagram or social media and go check out your stuff. Uh, you, you've got it going on. It's clear that you work out and you have a passion for fitness and that you're not letting anything hold you back. And I absolutely admire that. I appreciate that. And for me, it's, you know, it's winning the moment, you're not even the whole day, like literally just winning the moment you're in. And figuring out, man, a lot of people have your same story. A lot of people, I'm going to say, I'm going to go on a limb here and say every single person listening to this right now has the exact same story as I do, including you. And let Mm -hmm. me explain. You might not have been born with a disability, but um, you went through some crap, you got over some crap, and there's some more crap coming. That's my story. That's your story. That's everyone's story. So instead of trying to disconnect and saying, no, my pain is different. My struggle is different. My adversity is different. Who cares if it's different? What we really care about is what you're going to do with it. You know, are you going to let that difference or that, that your perception of your struggle stop you from accomplishing what you can accomplish, whether it's by adapting, going around through, or are you going to just sit there and try and fight for your excuses like someone is taking them from you? It's not even necessarily an excuse. Yes, it's a reason. Yeah, I do have a disability. I do. I do have an autoimmune disease. I have lost businesses. I have lost relationships and friends. Those things have happened. But what also happened is time kept going forward. And so did I, just by a mere choice. Easier said than done. Absolutely. But better done than said. Oh, man. You know... I love this, that we're talking about this. I was literally, before we got on the mic here, I was blogging about something because what I watch is so many people are trying to paint this masterpiece and they 
maybe make a mistake in it, right? Say a piece of paint drips or who knows what. And so what they do is they just throw that painting out and they're like, screw it. And it just blows me away because instead of just fixing that little spot or painting a different color and continuing to work hard, a lot of people kind of get this mentality when things start to not go their way that they just need to throw in the towel. And it really pains me to see that. I see it a lot in nutrition, a lot. I mean, people will um, have one cookie and all of a sudden they'll let that turn into a whole binge day because they just just get this like screw it mentality. I screwed up. So now I'm just going to eat whatever. Um, What's funny to me me about that, that I, I deal with that all the time as well. Um, have you ever gotten a flat tire in your life? I was just going to say this. <laughs> yes, no? exactly. Go forward. Go forward. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. So I make it even worse. I'm like, you don't just literally pour gasoline on the car and set it on fire. You know, you know, right. it's just, it blows my mind that in real life, what we consider real life, like normal life, work, job, relationship, stuff like that. When something gets messed up, we don't make it worse. You know, you don't stub your toe and then cut your leg off. But with nutrition, we, we tend, even with exercise, we, we tend to, you know, blow up the problem and be like, like, like you're, like you're poisoning someone. What's that old saying? Like, um, if you are mad at someone or bitter towards someone, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's basically what you're doing. You're mad at something. You're mad at the, the difficulty of nutrition or the difficulty of diet adherence. And you're so mad about diet adherence that you're not going to adhere to your diet. And that's just, if you can't see the irony in that, you know, um, sometimes you just need to take a step back and say, is this decision I'm about to make going to make me proud when I look back? And if you ask yourself that question, I guarantee you'd change a lot of your decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, in our journey, wherever we're headed with whatever we're doing, there's going to be a point where our car runs out of gas, but we just got to fill it back up and hit the highway again. That's just how it goes. And honestly, sometimes it might not even be that easy. Maybe you got to hitchhike, you know, a few miles because you're not around the gas station and then the gas station's out of gas. So then you got to get another car ride to another gas station. Then you have to walk back. But the reality is like, if you put in the work, you're likely to succeed. But if you don't put in the work, you're guaranteed to fail. I would much rather have a chance than not have a chance at all. And the only difference between the two is your decision to keep going, to keep winning moments, and to start focusing on what you can control and not what you can't control. Focusing on what you can't control is a waste of time. You wouldn't invest your money in a stock that you know is going to fail, just like you shouldn't invest your time and your energy and your thoughts into a thought process that is going to predict your own demise. That doesn't make sense, but we still do it. I love that. Um, So what can you tell my listeners that can help them start to mentally make these changes instead of um, being like, hey, everything imploded today, things are over do you have tools that help people understand? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go into that. The every, everything imploded thing, like uh, life's over. Let's go with the life's over situation. First and foremost, we're going to ask ourselves, is life really over? Uh, Let's be real. Our 10 out of 10 is really like a four or five out of 10 because you probably didn't lose every bit of money, every bit of food. You didn't lose your house. 
unless you had literally the worst day ever. Your house caught on fire. It killed your entire family, including the little puppy you just bought. Your car is now on fire as well. You have no money. Everyone hates you. Cell phone service is destroyed. You now live in this dystopian world where people are trying to eat you. Unless that is happening, which I'm going to go ahead and say it's not. It's probably a 4 or 5 out of 10. If it was a 10 out of 10, you'd be dead, and it wouldn't matter anyways. Okay? So let's dial back a little bit. Think about the worst pain you've ever been through in your life. And you're here now. You made it. At the time, it was a 10 out of 10. But right now, you're like, yeah, that was a rough time, but I'm here. That was five years ago, six years ago, four months ago. I made it, you know? The problem is we we tend to let our emotions overrule us. Emotions are a very natural human thing. I'm not a robot. But emotions aren't logic. Emotions are natural, and they can also be domesticated. They can be controlled because you're the one thinking. You're choosing to place your thoughts. Sometimes they're subconscious, and it needs active correction. But with effort comes results. Just like, you know, I didn't start lifting 675 pounds. I didn't start deadlifting 675 pounds. I started with 135 pounds. You know, and if I said, oh, this is hard five, six, seven years ago, I would never be to where I am today. But it took effort every single day, effort, 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 effort for how many days? What, 6,000 days, you know, something like that. So instead of saying this is hard to control my thoughts, this is hard to control. Yes, it's hard, but it's worth it. So let's talk about two tools I can give everyone right now. First and foremost, this concept changed my life. I want you to picture a ginormous circle, massive circle, and in the middle, a very small circle. In the big circle, you have, it's what's called the circle of concern. Everything that's concerning. Oh my God, what happens if my job fires me? What happens if this girl or guy leaves me? What happens if they never like me? What happens if I'm never successful? What happens if I don't find my purpose? Stress, anxiety, all these things we can't control. Things we are concerned about. In the small circle, we have our circle of influence. These are things you can directly control. My thoughts, behaviors, actions, reactions, the way I choose to respond to things, what I do about scenarios, what I think about, my beliefs, those are things you can control, you can influence. If you are living outside of your circle of influence, you are living in a panic, stress state, you will never have quality of life. You will never achieve the ultimate level of happiness, regardless of money or if you get everything you want, because happiness is an inward thing that slowly works its way outward, not the other way around. I promise you, there are millionaires and billionaires who are terrible, depressed. Yeah, I'd rather cry in a Ferrari. Yeah, it's a funny saying, but at the end of the day, I'd rather be not crying at all. You know, I'd rather not be depressed at all. I went and spoke in Uganda, in Africa, and these kids had literally nothing, holes in their shirt, no shoes, and they were the happiest kids I've ever seen in my life. When I came back, I was so angry because we complain so much. And that's not using someone's struggle against them to make ourselves happy. But what I'm saying is I saw what gratitude means. And I saw what living inside your circle of influence means. I've heard about it, but I saw it. So I know I can't take you to Africa right now and show you that. But what I can say is, if you choose to live inside that circle of influence, you'll be happy. You will enjoy happiness. You will enjoy the moment. You will focus on things you can control. So that's my first and foremost, okay? Uh, the second one is a triangle, basically catch, challenge, change. You have to have a process to correct these thoughts that predict your own demise. And when I say that, what I mean is you're literally, it's super creepy and super weird, but you know you kind of talk to yourself in your head. You're literally narrating your own life. The way you think, the way you react, 
you're creating a narrative, you're creating a script for your life. And every single decision, no one's making those decisions for you, but you, every decision and every thought is going towards the narrative that you are creating. So if you're the narrator, and you're the script writer, why are you writing a crappy script for yourself? To change that, catch, you have to catch it. So if you picture a triangle at the bottom left corner, you have the word catch, catch that thought that is going to predict your own demise, catch that thought that's self deprecating that inner negative monologue, that's ruining you, then you have to challenge it. Is it really true? Am I really a loser? Does this really suck? Because I didn't get this lift because I didn't stick to my nutrition because I didn't progress this week because my business isn't succeeding like I want it to. Does that really mean I'm a loser? You know, can you lose temporarily without being a loser? Absolutely. People fail all the time. Failing is a verb. It's a thing we do. It's like stubbing your toe. Completely fine. But failure is a noun. It's an identity. It's someone who accepts being in that state of failing all the time. Failing, completely okay. Failure, never acceptable. Challenge yourself and say, is this really true? And then change that thought. If it's not true, which it's most likely not, there's always a way out. And if there's not a way out, you don't need to worry because there's no way out. That problem was never for you to solve if you can't solve it. So there's no use being in the backseat of a car complaining about where the driver is taking you. I dig it. I dig it. (laughs) You're a wise man. Man, I'm only wise because I've messed up so many times, more than I can count. And I've learned much more through bad mistakes, bad decisions, bad thoughts. And I honestly like... I talk this stuff and people, do you really believe this way? I'm like, I absolutely do. Now, don't get me wrong. I mess up all the time. I get angry. I curse. I, I, I make mistakes in business and life, but I always try and correct myself and bring myself back to these things because one, I'm human. And two, effective thinking is going to solve problems. Ineffective thinking is going to create more problems. So when given the choice, which we always are given, you have to do what's effective in that scenario. I just don't want to put myself or anyone else in a position of losing because of something I did. To me, that sounds kind of, kind of dumb. Yeah. You know, and I really love that you're saying all of this and talking about learning things the hard way and things, because that is exactly how I've come to the place that I have come now. Things haven't always been perfect. We've had to learn to navigate things and even extreme issues. I know, I mean, through bodybuilding, for example, I personally have made a lot of major mistakes that have influenced how I act now and what I know to never do and what I know to never put my clients through. So, you know, there's a lot of things there that are super important. And sometimes um, failing on occasion can be something that has a silver lining to it. And it's that we learn. 100%. And the, the concept of failing has a negative connotation, but it doesn't need to like, well, you need to really think about what you're saying, you know, in powerlifting, you have three attempts on each lift, three lifts. So technically nine attempts. If you miss one of those attempts, are you are you failing? Like, are you a failure? No, like it happens. That's okay. Lifting, whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting has taught me how to fail forward, how to fail correctly, and how to be okay with it, you know, I wish adults acted more like babies. You know, when babies fall and they stumble and they're learning to walk, they continually get up and crawl and do whatever they need to do to get where they want to go. But adults, the second they fall once, they act like the concept of babies and just cry it out, like, and do nothing. It it blows my mind how naturally we are so uh, adaptive 
But as we get older and more into society, we lose that. The most honest people you'll ever meet are young kids and old adults. They won't deal with any crap. They'll tell you exactly how it is. If they try a food they don't like, they spit it out. If they see someone they don't like, they say it, you know. But as we get into that middle age, uh, you know, the teenage to like upper 50s, 60s, we care so much about everything in society, societal standards and social currency on social media likes and what other people are doing. We judge our own success and our own progress and our own journey based on what other people do, other people's highlight reels. And it kills me because people can be doing so damn good. You lost half a pound this week. That's amazing. That's great. Good job. You know, oh, but this person lost four. You're looking at them in a vacuum. You're not looking at their whole scenario, not looking at anything else. And honestly, that's in your circle of concern. That's things that doesn't affect you. What does affect you is what are you going to do this week to make sure you maintain or improve progress? That's it. You know, what is looking outside? Comparison is the thief of joy anyway. So what are you doing really? And, you know, I'm glad that you said that because with me, myself, like starting my podcast, I had so many people that were like, oh, you should definitely start a podcast or a blog or you need something because you have so much valuable information to pass to other people. And I was so afraid of what people would think about what I had to say that I put it off for ages. And finally, I stepped out of my box and I decided to do it. And I kind of got that same mentality. I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to put this stuff out here, even if it's not perfect. You know, you have to learn to crawl before you can walk. I'm sure there's going to be days where I stumble, but I need to get up and make my dream happen and get this done. And so there's a few rough episodes out there from when I first started. And And that that is sometimes I'm like, yeah. And sometimes I'm like, I want to delete that. It sounds so terrible. But if I didn't have that there, I wouldn't know where I came from. I wouldn't know where I can go if I put my mind to things. And so I leave it. I'm just like, hey, it's cool. I think and it humanizes so you. Glad- and it humanizes everyone. Like to understand you, you sucked at one point. You know, like that's this is generally to everyone. Like you probably sucked at what you're good at right now. You know, like for me, when I started lifting, I sucked at lifting. At the time, I thought I was a boss. You know, I look back at the pictures. I'm like, I was flexing with that little thing. Like, what? And I was <laughs> like, who are you? Like, I thought I was like a badass, you know? And then I look back and it, like you said, it does. It shows progress. It shows where you started. And it, I think it's unnatural and unreal to see someone who just is so perfect. Their photos are obviously taken on a $5,000 camera. Everything they post is so done up and like perfect, like fake perfect. And you, you don't connect with them because it's like, you're not human. That's not real. You know, you have to be down to earth in the process and you have to remember where you came from. So I respect you for keeping that up and honestly, just for getting it done. I've done the same thing with multiple business ventures and things that I told myself I wanted to do, but never did it because I didn't believe in myself. The reality was I didn't believe in myself more than I was scared of what other people would think. And the second that shift starts to go towards believing in yourself and saying, screw what people think, that's when stuff starts to happen. And that's all living inside your circle of influence. I love it. I love it. So as far as like, I mean, I'm sure you get people asking all the time, like, I wish I could be as disciplined as you, or I I wish that that that's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Let's go with that. That's my favorite. Like the, the main question I get is the whole motivation thing. Like, how do I? how do I become as motivated as you? Like, I'm just not motivated right now. I, I motivation, like people call me a motivational speaker. And sometimes I refer to it because people understand that, but I'm technically a public speaker. 
Um, motivation is fleeting. You know, there's that saying, you know, motivation is like taking a bath. If you only do it once a month, you're going to stink. Motivation is fleeting. You know, the wrong question is, how do I stay motivated? The right question is, how do I develop the discipline to do the stuff I need to do, even when I don't feel like doing it? And people are like, well, how do, how do you get disciplined? This is my favorite. So I'll ask anyone listening right now, do you have a job? I'm going to assume that the majority, over 90% of you have a job. Okay. Uh, do you have a job, Connie? Uh, sure, I do. I have lots of jobs, <laughs> lots of hats I wear. Cool. So you basically have to make money, right? Pretty much, yes. I'm going to I'm gonna go <laughs> ahead and call you on that lie because no, you don't. You could not make money. You could lose everything you own. You could live under a bridge. You could be homeless and you could just give up everything, give up your goals and you could be homeless. Could you not? Yeah. But yeah, totally. the funny thing you did was you convinced me. You told me that you have to make money. You took a desire to not be homeless and turned it into a necessity. And if you have the ability to turn a desire into a necessity with your job, you can turn a desire into a necessity with your fitness, with your diet, with your business, with your relationship, everything. If you convince yourself that there's a necessity, because everyone could be homeless, you really could. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are homeless, right? And they're living, and they're maybe not the quality of life we want, but they're living. It's a possibility, but we convince ourselves that it's not. You tell yourself you have to go to work, even when you don't want to. You don't just not go. You force yourself to go. Why don't we have that same concept when it's around fitness? Why, why don't we think the same way? Right. I love that. I mean, I have people that are like, well, I wish I had your kind of motivation. And I think they have this picture in their head, like my alarm goes off at 3.30 in the morning and I bound right? out of bed and I'm like, hello, right? World, you have your weightlifting belt I'm already on. You're chalking up at five in the morning and you're just like, oh, I just ran <laughs> yeah. 10 marathons. I don't know if you know, but you know, I'm so fit. Like that's not the, the fit lifestyle is literally the exact same lifestyle as anyone else. We just happen to go to the gym and like, we choose a little bit different foods. You know, if you really minimize it, that's that's what we do. So it, I people want a quick fix, especially in society. I keep referring to social media and I've been fortunate enough to build a decent social media following, but I've also seen the negative side where people are selling people quick fixes and instant gratification and things that don't exist. I hate to tell you, but we've been doing the same squat, press, push, pull uh, for, you know, since we've been human. There's no extra exciting movements. You can't stand on an upside down BOSU ball with one leg and do like the shake weight while you're drinking like skinny me tea. Like that's not, that's not, we still squat. We still have basic biomechanics, basic nutrition principles. There, there are basic things that you need to follow. There's the, the majority and then the minority. Yeah, there might be a supplement or tube that could possibly help. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you look at the peer reviewed studies, but 99% training and nutrition consistency over time. 1% anything else. And if you're studying for a test, what do you need to focus on? The 99%. <laughs> I love that you say this about the functionality of movements and things and brought that up because it's pretty hilarious. I, I mean, I, I follow all sorts of fitness stuff and I, it's just interesting. You see some good information, you see some bad information. And there was this one guy, he had like this special strap and he was using, he was hooking it to the cable machine and it went on his head and he was like lifting the weights with his neck. Uh -huh. And I jokingly sent it to my chiropractor. I was like, Hey, I was thinking about doing this. What do you think? <laughs> 
Uh, but anyway, so then I showed it to one of the power lifters that I work out with on occasion and he laughed so hard. He's like, he's like, what the hell does this guy think he's going to do? He's like, this is completely crazy. Is he going to stick his head under the couch and lift the couch up to go move it? <laughs> See, and th- that's what I love. So I, I love that you bring that up too. Um, now we take a specific like that, you, you know, there's people that are like, oh, functional fitness only. Like there's no reason to do just a deadlift or there's no reason to do back squat. There's so many people that are like, if it's not functional, it's not good where that is not functional for me. That neck exercise, completely not functional, probably not functional for you. Not functional, not uh, functional for power lifters, for bodybuilders, but for wrestlers and for people who do jujitsu, who need neck bridging, depending on what position he was doing it. Or for a lineman who needs uh, a neck bracing, there are isometric holds in the neck muscles, in the scalenes, in the sternocleidomastoid that can benefit from that specific movement. Now, there are tons of people who use a commercial gym and use something like that completely thinking maybe they'll get a thicker neck. I don't know what they're thinking. But specificity is really key. So when we talk about functionality, people are like, oh, leg extension isn't functional because, you know, soccer players, you know, blah, blah. A leg extension is completely functional for a bodybuilder to develop direct quad hypertrophy, you know? Functional is relative to the athlete, to the person who needs it. I'm not going to make someone do an NFL combine test who wants to lose 10 pounds for a wedding. That's that's absolutely ridiculous, you know? But if a person wants to train to get better at the NFL combine prep, I'm going to put them through the NFL combine prep. Specificity is key. So I hate when people talk about absolutes in the sense of you should always do this or you should never do that. It, it's such a gray area. And my biggest advice for looking for a coach, uh, which I don't coach, but for looking any other coach, if they say one way is the only way, you should probably run and not with them, but away from them. Yes, I'm so happy you said this. Uh, so many people are stuck on their ways and they won't change them in any way shape or form i mean i work out oh man and to me i'm like everybody is totally unique and individual they have all their own situations and i have been working with that with fitness and nutrition like constantly because i think that what may work for me for example it may not work for somebody else and so i'm not going to use myself as an example when i'm setting up somebody else's training Exactly. So, it can influence it I, slightly, you know, but let, let's let's talk about that for a little bit. What works for you and we'll take as a female, what works for you now is probably not going to work for you in five to 10 years. Why? Well, especially in the diabetes space. Um, so weird, but true. I wrote a book about the female menstrual cycle as it relates to fat loss for type one diabetic women. Majority of my clientele was female and a lot of them are having different issues at different times of their menstrual cycle. And I was like, something is up. Something's weird. Uh, One of my favorite researchers, Lyle McDonald, wrote a book about this. And I was like, let me look into it from a diabetes perspective. Well, women in their menstrual cycle, in the first two weeks of their menstrual cycle, their follicular phase, they produce more estrogen, which makes insulin sensitivity higher in the first two weeks. And then the the second two weeks, the luteal phase, they have less insulin sensitivity, more insulin resistance. They store carbs differently. They store fat differently. So if you talk about differences, you know, you have to be aware of differences and changes. And if you just applied one, the best way I could wrap this up is this. There is no universal fix to an individual problem. And on top of that, an individual can change with time and will change with time, with age, with stress, with so many different life factors. So 
if you ever think there's a cookie cutter design or someone's trying to force a cookie cutter design on you, they're trying to take your money and they're not going to take you far. I love that. And that's part of the reason I decided I would be coaching myself in the future uh, because I just got tired of having um, people's opinions pushed on me when I know what works really well for my body. I think that coaches do need coaches. I think that's a a good thing, but I think finding the right one can be really really difficult for some people. And so that's one of the reasons I decided to continue to coach myself um, but yeah, I really like that you say that that's that the, the reality is we're, we're stuck in this hardship of like, you know, you've heard the thing, don't fix what's not broken or, uh, what I'm doing is working. And then we have the challenging side of that, which is if we didn't fix what's not broken, we'd still be using candles instead of electricity. We'd still be using horses instead of cars because technically it wasn't broken. We just learned to optimize. So we're stuck between this, keep doing what works or learn to optimize and get better. And in the learning to optimize to get better, it gives people an opportunity to sell you their BS, you know? So when everyone's like, I know the answer, I can help you. I can take you this far. I can do this. I I understand what you're saying, but explain why, why can you help me? What would you do differently? That would put me in a position to succeed more than I'm already succeeding now, you know? Those are the questions you have to ask. And you really have to vet a good coach. A good coach is not a lot of followers. A good coach is not a bunch of people saying he's a good coach either. A good coach is someone you vet personally for your personal decisions and your personal requirements. And you'd match that up to say, is this what I think I need? And does this sound like something that would help me versus everything I've already done before? You have to vet coaches. I love that. And you know, the thing is, is I mean, I personally have clients myself, I don't have a large undertaking of them at any one given time, because I feel like I can't correctly give enough time to people and what they need. And so it was pretty hilarious. I had one of those Instagram um, people send me a message the other day. And they're like, Are you taking new clients? And I said, Yeah, possibly. What do you want to talk about? What are your goals? And uh, this guy was like, Well, um, would you be able to handle one to 10 more clients per week? And I said, no, absolutely not. And they're like, what, why, why would you ask that? And I was like, I mean, I know for me, I put 150% into my people. So you're not going to see me running a team of 20 people or, you know, who knows what you're just not going to see it because I know what I can efficiently help. And I know Uh, how much I can put into people. And I know I can't do that for a hundred or 200 clients, not 50. I mean, not even 15 it. And there are a lot of coaches out there that are. So that's one thing you need to be considering is if you see these coaches with these giant teams and tons of clients and all this stuff, how efficiently are they taking care of these people? How, how well do they know them and how much have they tuned into their needs and wants and all of these things. And this is, you know, where earlier you were saying you made some podcasts that you're like, Ooh, that wasn't what I wanted it to be. You know, this is where I messed up and I'll be super honest at the height of my online fitness uh, career. I had 133 clients in multiple countries and it crumbled because I stopped giving the same quality I gave to the original clients. And as it built, it got out of control And I was like, oh, man, if I just keep taking more clients, I'll make more money and then I'll get more results from people and more transformations will equal more, you know, and then I stopped getting transformations because I wasn't getting effort into these people, you know, and I realized I was like, 
man, I started to buy into the hype of of the social media guys. The pe- and I won't say any names, but I know some people who are very famous on social media who gave me advice to outsource my training to someone in another country, and they would just basically email them back and basically a completely hands-off approach. And I refused to do that. I refused to let my business get out of hand to the point where I'm all about money and not about results. And I had to take a step back. I had to let go of a lot of clients, refund a lot of clients. And I did it in a very nice, humble way, you know, and I told them when I have time, I'll gladly add to you or I'll recommend a bunch of other coaches. Um, But that was at the point where I was like, man, to run a successful coaching program, you have to put 100% effort into each person. You treat each person like a million dollar athlete and you'll have the best marketing you could ever get in return, which is their satisfaction, not only with you and your services, but with you as a relationship. So they'll recommend you to every single person they talk to. And, you know, that's another thing a lot of coaches say is like, well, you're my client. You're not my friend, which, okay, there could be a little a bit line. to that. There's a line. But honestly, and I think there has, there has to be a relationship yeah. built. You know, it's not someone you should go, you know, slam whiskeys with right after your training. Like that, that could be a little difficult, you know. Um, but in, in general, yeah, I would yeah. say I have a relationship with any, every one of the clients that I still keep. And there's people I've had for six months, people I've had for two years who they could realistically stop training with me. They just like, they choose to. And I told them, I was like, you're good. Like you really could. They just like the relationship we've built, you know, and I'm completely okay with that. Just know your role and stay in your lane. You know, that's it as a coach uh, and as a, as a client, know like what your goal is and what you're okay with. Set your boundaries, set your goals, set what you need out of this this working relationship and make sure that's there. If you want a coach that's kind of cool with you, make sure that's the kind of coach you have. Because if you have a coach that's like no friendships whatsoever, I'm just going to get you to first place. That better be what you want. Because if it's not, if you guys aren't on the same page and you're not communicating, you're going to have a really bad time. Yeah, and I know so many people, especially competitors, because that's the space that I'm in. They're like, my coach won't get back to me and I really need this now. And, and I mean, there, to one extent, there are times when you can't get back to somebody and I'm understanding of that, but that's a really common really complaint is. you hear about a lot is these coaches won't get back to someone Especially for days for week or something or like week. that contest day. Like that's, and that's, to me, that's the coach's fault because uh, if a coach is planning for one of their competitors to compete, they should make themselves available or at least be very specific about what to expect in those times. The lack of communication is the biggest problem. If you set expectations from the beginning, there's no problems, but people don't communicate effectively. So they leave room for interpretation and that causes even more problems. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you said you decided to not be doing a lot of coaching and you backed out of that. Um, That's a really impressive thing for me for you to be willing to admit that you had overdone it and that you needed to back it off a little. Um, so now you kind of specialize a little bit in coaching. I know you're not um, accepting new clients or anything, but you're specializing in people with, um, with diabetes and yeah. things like that. Can you expand Absolutely. on that a so, little bit? Uh, for about three years, I ran like the biggest type one diabetic only fitness challenge online. And I was charging like $100 per person. It'd be like a four-week challenge. But I encouraged people to do multiple. My training was a lot more expensive than that, my private training. So this gave people a deal. And I had people do, you know, every other month we do one of these challenges. People lost 30, 40 pounds over the course of a few challenges. And like they were, they loved it. But 
I found it became a hassle. It became about money. People were struggling for money. So many things happened around money and people almost were like entitled to, to like, they wanted me as a private uh, trainer at a group rate and then they didn't want to do the work. So those two combined, I was very frustrated. And then it became like a job and not a job in a sense of like being a trainer, but a job like I pictured I was in a cubicle working 40 to 60 hours a week for a job I hated. Like that's the feeling I got. So I had to make a hard decision. And I was like, I'm just not happy anymore. I used to love getting people results. And now I just, I don't, it doesn't make me happy, you know, and it's a skill set I have, but I had to let it go. So I completely stopped doing fitness for a while for almost a year. And I found, wow. yeah, I was known as the fitness guy before Chris Rudin. I was adapt wellness. Like that was my fitness name, you know? And, uh, I stopped and I recently, I just finished my challenge. I brought it back, but I made it free this time. Cause I was like, let's take money out of the equation. Let's make it free. I had 350, 400 people sign up the testimonials. People lost like so much weight and they're so happy. Their blood sugars were back in check, their health, their, you know, medication, like so many benefits from this one. And I was like, I love this one. And the only thing that changed was my, my perception around what I was doing and being able to give it to f- for free, but also get a company to sponsor it. So there's still some sort of financial component. And I solved the issue, which was taking the, the smoke screen, the, the money issue out of the equation and making sure people know, hey, this is a free challenge. You're either going to do it or you're not. That's it. And the people who do it, they killed it. So it finally brought some life back into fitness training and stuff like that. So I'm excited to bring that back every other month. And now I go after companies instead of people. I don't want to take people's money. You know, I'm tired of taking people's money. You're worth the value 100% as a coach. But when you do group training, I feel like there's a level where you have to be honest with yourself and say, is this worth what people are paying? And uh, for me, uh, this is what pleases me the most. Everyone is different. You know, I 100% see value. I actually pay a coach who does my powerlifting program. And I could very well do my own daily undulating periodization powerlifting program if I wanted to do conjugate method. I could throw all the fancy. I could say the word photosynthesis to make my sound fancy, (laughs) you know, but at the end of the day, I feel like coaches do need coaches at certain times. And where I lacked, this coach that I work with picks up and he's helped me stay out of pain and stuff. So I never knock coaches. I think they're of the most value. And the worst thing you could do as a new or even experienced lifter is not having someone guide you to be your better self. Just find the person, communicate with the person that works with you best and make sure you guys are on the same page. Yeah, especially when you're self-coaching, it's so easy to second guess what you're thinking all the time. Like you're constantly analyzing yourself to the utmost uh, tier because you're like, well, is this right? Or maybe I should change this when really you need, you were probably right the first time, but then you overthought it about exactly. a thousand times and then decided yeah, to change it's hard it. To commit, even to <laughs> listening to someone in the beginning when I was working with this guy, I started about a year ago. It's the longest I've ever listened to someone too, but uh, it took me a while to fully trust his programming. And then when I finally gave him over the reins, you know, as a client, you have to be willing to give the trainer you're hiring the reins. If not, there's no point in having a coach that you're only doing half of what they say. You can't do half of what your coach says, then blame 100% on what your coach told you to do that you didn't do. 
you know, and I find that was a big problem in coaching as well. So just make sure who you're working with, you ask questions, you understand, and eventually you have to give them your full trust or else you shouldn't have a coach that you don't trust. And even going for yourself, you know, anyone, if you're training yourself, if you don't fully trust yourself, you need to figure out, is that like a, a little mental thing you have, or is it honestly because you need someone to solve problems that you're not ready to solve for yourself? You have to be honest with yourself. That's awesome. And, you know, a lot of this, I think a key thing here is it's so cool looking back at where you came from and the struggles and the hurdles and the things that have happened that have formed who you are and what you do and what you're about and things you've learned. It's all so very important. I mean, when I started training, I literally, this is what I did. I did like, (laughs) when I started training, I did like several sets of body weight squats, push-ups, uh, sit-ups. Like it was the, the most minuscule program. Right. And I knew nothing about fitness at all. And then it just kept adding to it and adding to it. And, you know, it kind of blows my mind. I will be training people and teaching them how to move and function. I'm very hands-on. I like to teach people why we are in this form, why we don't do another form, you know, all sorts of things like that. And all of a sudden I will be hearing myself say these things and it kind of blows my mind. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I never in a million years thought I would have been here. Never. I mean, I remember telling my husband, I think I should get a personal trainer because now I'm lifting really heavy and I don't want to screw myself That's up. Great. <laughs> and then, then now all of a sudden I am a personal trainer and I'm like, how did that happen? But it's amazing the metamorphosis we can go through and the things we can learn from our past oh, absolutely. self. Absolutely. And talking about funny stories of working out, this you just reminded me like my first experience of working out, I was probably like 14 or 15. And I would always hang out with older kids. And this older kid, I went over to his house. His name was Richie. He was sitting on his bed, you know, and he's just curling one dumbbell, like a 15 pound dumbbell, just curling it. And uh, I was like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, man, I work out. That's, you know, that's how girls like you. You know, you get muscles. I was like, oh, man, like, all right, what do I got to do? He's like, well, you got to get a dumbbell. And every night you just got to do curls. And I was like, oh, just like, just like curl it. He's like, yeah, just every night curl it. And that's all you got to do. So for like a good four weeks, all I did was curls in my one arm because I couldn't do it with my other arm. And I thought I was working out. I thought that was what working out is. And now I look, you know, I just hit two maxes. I hit a 605 pound squat and a 675 pound deadlift. And I'm like, man, I used to just do curls. <laughs> like I was that I was that bro who like didn't even know. I didn't even know there was more to working out than curls. So you'd be surprised. You got to be proud of where you came from, but also never ride on past accomplishments. You know, always look back to connect the dots while you're moving forward. I love that. And because you start with something so small, it was just that one foot forward that you placed towards that, that metamorphosed into so much more. The catalyst could be the smallest thing. Like, the catalyst could be that thought, that thing you've always wanted that's in the back of your mind. I guarantee if I ask everyone, like, what's that one thing you've wanted to do, but you keep putting it off? Everyone kind of gets that idea in their head, like, oh, it's this. For me, it was writing a book. And it's like, I want to do that, but I'll, do, I'll get to it later or eventually or I, someday I guarantee I'm going to do it. Maybe it was a podcast for you. And then that one little catalyst where you're like, okay, instead of saying I'm going to do it, I'm going to do one thing towards that goal today. Maybe that's go to the gym and lift one weight and then you can go home. 
that one thing, as you say, metamorphosis, like that one catalyst causes so much in the future. And your future self will thank you so much for doing that one thing that sparks everything. That is awesome. So before we wrap it up, what if you could tell anybody something that's going to help them start on their journey or that's going to benefit them in their life, what would it be? I would say that uh, action comes before uh, motivation or action comes before desire, not the other way around. A lot of people were like, uh, if I was motivated, I would act. If I, if I was motivated now, I would do the thing that I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to tell you it's the opposite way. If you did it, you would feel motivated to keep going. If I told the kid, hey, I just need you to floss one tooth. I'd like you to floss all of them, but I just need you to floss one tooth and then you can stop. They're going to floss the tooth and then they're going to be like, well, since I'm already here, I might as well do the other ones. You know, If I told you to go to the gym and get on that machine and do one set of five and then you can leave. There's a full program, but then you can leave. Most people, once they get there, they're like, well, since I'm already here, I might as well do it action before motivation not after so instead of looking for motivation to get acting start acting and then you'll stay motivated you know this is kind of hilarious and i don't know if you know this but my day job and my other career is that's so amazing (laughs) oh that's so amazing You just use the floss analogy. And I tell you, I have used analogies like that. I don't know how many times with my Seriously, patients. That's while awesome. That it's actually works. That's great. <laughs> that's, that's just something I've always used for an analogy. That is so crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I have done that. That's I don't know awesome. how many so you just validated that point. Thank you so much. To that. You, you have oh, been yeah, validated, awesome. sir. So if people want to find you, they want to Instagram stalk you or uh, go to your website or whatever it may be. How do yeah, they so it's just my do name, that? Chris Rudin, uh, uh, Instagram and YouTube are like my main things, but I also have Twitter and my website is just chrisrudin.com. Uh, I have that fancy blue check mark. That doesn't mean I'm a douchebag. If you have a question, just message me. I talk to everyone in the DMs as long as you're not creepy. And uh, yeah, I'm always down to help you. My concept is this. I will give you 100% if you give me 100%. If you give me 99%, I won't give you anything. I love that. Because that 1% less is a decision. And if you're choosing not to invest in you, I can't choose to invest in you. I help everyone with any problem that I can possibly help or I connect you with someone who can help. But if you can't help you, if you're not willing to put in the effort towards you, you can't, you know, that whole lead a horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. I'm done doing that and no one should. So make sure you're ready to invest in you with whatever question, whatever action that's required. If you want to better your life and you want to help have someone help you, you have to be willing to help you first. Amen to that. That is amazing. Well, I am so thankful you came on today and chatted with me. It's been so fun and maybe we'll do it again someday. Thank you so much. We had a great talk. 
Well, everybody, that about wraps up today's episode with Chris. I love his opinion and the way he thinks about things and his can-do attitude despite adversity. I think we need more people in this world talking about life and the little obstacles that get in our way. And I'm thankful that Chris came and talked about that today. So before we hang it up here, if you guys could go over to my podcast and leave me a review, subscribe. All of these things help other people find my podcast. It also helps me bring quality speakers onto the show that have wonderful educations and backgrounds and just a diverse amount of people with lots of knowledge and all sorts of different subjects. So if you don't like and subscribe and all these things, then I don't show up and other people can't find this wonderful information. So if you could do that, I would be so appreciative. And also sharing is caring. If you share with your friends, share with your family, share it on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere you share your stuff. If you could share it, that helps also get me out there, which I heavily appreciate. Anyway, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful day.